<laughs> um, I wanted to just start off in Matthew 1, just with the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful in the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to, make, to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And I was just in my preparation for this, I was just reading through all of these stories, and it's just like there's so many things that stood out for me. So I'm going to go from here to the, the Magi, the more publicly known as wise men, <laughs> um, and then after that to the shepherds and, and see, just point out a few things. But I want to just start off with just like, um, obviously there's like these amazing miracles throughout the story of Jesus' birth. And the first one is obviously just the con- uh, Mary being conceived by the Holy Spirit. And it's like I think sometimes we get so familiar with the story of Jesus' birth that we look over the, some of these things. And it's like there's this amazing, amazing miracle that happens in Mary's life. Now, obviously, for Joseph, it's going to be a bit difficult when your, when your wife-to-be comes to you, like, I'm pregnant, but it was nobody, I promise. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> there's a lot of faith. But luckily, you see it's because they are a righteous family. And, like, I don't know what the, why Joseph would go ahead and say, well, I'm going to divorce you anyway. I think there's obvious reasons there because it would be hard to believe without any, like, prior accounts of this in the Old Testament. But then just hearing that word from the angel and just that alone in his dream was enough for him to go, okay, fine, I'm going to go ahead with this. This is what I'm going to trust. And for us, I go like, dang, like if God comes to us in a dream and speaks to us in our dreams, do we have that same kind of robust faith that we're going to just trust that and go with it on the huge decisions in our lives? And like, I would like to say like, we should. I would encourage us to go like, how can God speak to you in a way that you will hear in that kind of a way and just decide, okay, cool, that's enough for me. I'm going to go ahead with this major decision. And obviously, I mean, there's so much fruit in going through with major decisions. He gets to father the Jesus Christ, the, the Christ of the world. He gets to play a part in his life, which is amazing. Um, because obviously with Mary and Joseph, with her being pregnant out of, like before they married, they would have taken a lot of ridicule from like public, public disgrace and stuff. So it's like sometimes God asks us to do difficult things that nobody else understands. And it's like in those moments, it's like we have that faith to, to step out and do what we need to do. But then also just to weather the storm of people it's like questioning us or not believing us. And like we should just have that that strong faith to go ahead and and like believe what God is telling us to to do, um, no matter what it is. Um, and then in here we see obviously the angel gives Jesus or tells Joseph what Jesus' name is to be. He says um, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. 
Jesus, the word Jesus, the name Jesus means Lord saves, the Lord saves, which is pretty cool. And you'll see through the texts, there's a couple of different verses. In verse 23, it says, um, just after this, it actually says that um, people will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And it was like Jesus' life was so profound um, in his walk, just in his daily life, that people would recognize that this is God with us. And I don't think that's too far a, a shot to, to, um, for us to be living out our Christian faith and people to say, not that you're God, but that we can see God in you. And I think that's probably the biggest testimony that we can have in our daily walk with God, where it's like we just live out our Christian walk faithfully, and people will see that. People's lives will be changed. They will see the fruit of God in your life and be able to go, hey, that's something that I want. That'll be more profound than you going to them and trying to like sell the gospel, so to speak, even though there is a place for evangelism. And I think even Andrew is a good testimony of that where he's met a bunch of people in the park here next door and um, yeah, they've found their way to church. Um, so there is a place for that. I'm not saying that there isn't. But living your life in, in, a, in a way that shines Jesus, I think, is much more of a, a realistic testimony for the world today in that state. Um, then in Matthew 2, um, it starts speaking about the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. How incredible is that? Like, they are faithfully following the star in the sky. Another ridiculous miracle where it's like God, the Lord of all, the Lord of creation, the Lord of our lives. It's like from like being Lord over Mary's womb to Lord over the, the universe. And now there's these magi just following randomly the star, trusting that it's leading to Jesus. Um, it, it's like, I don't know about you, I haven't had an experience where God has... Uh, you know, guided me with stars, but he's definitely guided me with things and people and stuff like that, where it's like you can just follow faithfully knowing that even you don't know the end of the, the road, where it's going, that this is God, and so I'm going to follow it faithfully. And I think that's often what God asks us to do. We see that throughout the Bible, even with um, Abraham, God says, go to a land that I will show you. Um, and it's like, okay, cool, we're exploring the desert for that's one random spot and I think sometimes our walk with God can feel like that. Um, we're just following blindly. But it's, it's knowing in that moment, God sent me, so I'm happy to go. And that's pretty, um, it's, it's actually pretty exhilarating and thr- thrilling. And even you see that with Andrew and Michelle going to Australia, not knowing exactly what's lying there for them, but they're trusting God to follow faithfully. And like, um, I know that there will be amazing fruit for them in Australia that they, will, that they will get from this very faithful step that they've done. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's good to remember, like Andrew and Michelle have, like they walk with God through this time where, you know, God has told them specific things about stuff happening on the route. And when they've seen those come to pass, they go, okay, we can trust God. And I think that's um, a lot of our walks with God. Like we're not sure... We trust, we try it, we test it, we're testing God's guidance. And eventually we get to a spot where we go, actually I've seen God faithful through my whole life. 
Um, and so I'm choosing to trust God for everything. All of those small decisions and the big decisions in our life. It goes on to say with the Magi, after they had heard the king, uh, so between the last bit and yeah, obviously Herod tries to get them to go and find Jesus and then come and tell him where he is so that he can go and kill him or whatever. doesn't say specifically, but you can assume. Um, but then he says, after they had heard um, the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had been... The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with the mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They, they then opened their treasures and presented to him the gift of, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we see as the Magi faithfully follow Jesus with this, um, with this miracle star that shows them there. They get there, they realize this is the, the Lord of the world. They give what they have. They give their gifts. Um, Magi were, like, they, it's not biblically known exactly what they were, like, what their sort of job was, but it was known that they were um, sort of like men of honor or high position in society. Um, and wise men is a good description. It would be like, you know, like maybe overseers of towns or something like that. Um, so anyway, so these guys, what they would have is wealth in abundance, likely. Um, and so they bring what they have, what's valuable to them, to Jesus, um, and give it as a gift, as an honoring, as a thing to say, like, I see you as Lord, you are worthy of this. Um, and it's like, it's beautiful to see they give what they, what they have to give. Um, in Luke 2, sorry, I just want to get. It's all right. <laughs> Jesus is the water of life. Just trust him, right? <laughs> Luke, 2, Luke 2 speaks about the shepherds and it says, And there were shepherds lying out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the, Lord, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that, you will, that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. This too is incredible for me. The same thing with the shepherds. Like an angel appears to them, that's like incredible. And what I did notice also is like they are instantly in fear of this angel. There's got to be like if an angel appears to you, some sort of a wow power like or big or strong or something because there's like multiple accounts. I, I think I saw a thing of like, it's like eight or ten accounts of people encountering angels and all of them start with fear. And, and God just, or the, God or the angel says to them, do not fear. And it's like God comes to us with that. It's a similar um, uh, view as Aslan in the Narnia books where it's like Aslan representing um, God. It's like he's not safe, but he's good. And it's that same thing with God. It's like God is all-powerful beyond what we can understand for sure. I mean, he speaks the, the universe into existence. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've seen 
programs and clips on the size of some of these planets and it's like God's just like wow, there's, there's a massive planet there and it's like I don't think we can actually in our finite minds grasp that kind of a God it's like it's too big for us to even understand and so I understand like them angels saying to God in their, in their glory like oh God, saying to people like do not fear and then you see with that all the time, it's like the people are like, okay, cool. This guy is powerful, but he's on my side. He's my friend. He's here with good news. And it's like that's the same view we can have with God. We can have this all-powerful, sovereign, amazing um, view of an, a sovereign God and then know that he's on your side, that he's backing you, that he's with you. Um, and it's like to stand firm in, in those beliefs. Um, also with these shepherds, they just trust that. They trust what the angel is saying. They have faith, and they just go and, and see, the, um, see this new king, Ach, this new, yeah, Jesus. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And that's the same thing for the shepherds. It's like they are led there by faith. And then after that, they just proclaim what they've seen. They're basically like proclaiming the gospel, the truth of Jesus. And for us, it's like they're giving their gift of what they can give. Shepherds were normally seen as like a more like lowly um, career kind of thing. They were often even seen as like unclean because they were working with obviously dirty sheep and like manure and etc etc and uh, you know there's a bit of blood and stuff involved and so in society they're often like slightly like rejected because they were seen as unclean and yet God chooses to to um, show the magi who's like high in society as well as the shepherds It's like these two people that he appears to and he says I'm calling everybody I'm calling you whether you're in a high position or a low position I want I want you to come. I want you to come and see me. And so the shepherds, they also bring what they have. Then they go and just spread the gospel. And that's, in essence, what God asks us to do throughout the New Testament. Just spread the gospel. Just tell the story of what you've seen and experienced of Jesus. It doesn't have to be a theological exegesis of like Jesus' life and story and the Bible and everything. It's just tell people about how you have experienced Jesus in your own life. Um, because that's all that he's asking you to do. Um, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And it's like when we start listening to those promptings, that's when we often are going to find the fruit of like, oh, just tell that person about you know, what you experienced yesterday with Jesus. Um, yeah. So uh, in the scripture, it also refers to Jesus as the Messiah. The Messiah, the word Messiah is Hebrew. Um, and the word Christ is the Greek equivalent of Messiah, Hebrew. Both of them meaning anointed one. And so throughout the scriptures, we see Jesus referred to as the anointed one. Um, but yeah, both of them. Sorry. Yeah, both of them, both the shepherds and the magi are both called to Jesus. So we should never like feel like we... Um, are disqualified from like being in a relationship with Jesus for any reason. Um, and then I wanted to just move on to um, 
basically, at the end of the day, the, the reason for Jesus' salvation, what the main reason was, was given in that first reading, um, where it's like Jesus has come to save us, save us from our sins. And it's like even from Adam and Eve and that breakdown of relationship with God, because before that, obviously, they were in this this one-to-one, one-on-one relationship with God the Father. God the Father used to walk with them in the Garden of Eden. And after that, there was obviously Adam and Eve after they sinned, they got sent out of the garden, and there was a break in that relationship. And so with, with that break in relationship, that is carried on to everybody that comes after Adam and Eve, that, that seed of sin. And basically throughout the, the Old Testament, we have no hope of that kind of regained relationship apart from what the prophets and, and, and the, the scriptures said about a Jesus coming, a Savior coming. And so for us now, it's like Christmas is the beginning of that hope. Jesus is that, that reason, that, that hope realized. Over all those generations, people hoping and hoping and hoping in, in the Savior to come to restore that relationship with God the Father for eternity. Because God, we, we often see our lives in a very like small view, you know, we we're going to live 70, 80, maybe 90 years. They're speaking about people living for 150 years now, whatever. I'm just like, whatever, we'll see that when it happens. But for now, it's like, you know, in the Old Testament, it was only, you know, God was only speaking to people directly through the priests and the prophets and maybe a burning bush or two. But apart from that, it's like um, God wasn't, didn't have that same relationship with us. Us. And Jesus is that hope. Jesus is the reason we're celebrating because Christmas is a celebration of that hope realized, the coming of that restored relationship. And like we said in the, like Warren was saying in the intro, like Easter is the culmination of the Easter is the end of that, where it's like Jesus actually goes through with what he is called to do, to die. But to die for our sins is his main reason for coming. But the reason for that. The reason for him dying for us sins is to restore that relationship that we have with the Father. That is the, the main thing. So you can imagine God from eternity going like we think, you know, 70, 80, 100 years of life is a long time. And then we go, okay, if we just look at, you know, our, our recent history since Jesus, 2,000 years, yes, that's a long time. But compared to our lives, it's a small span. And then we think like, you know, eternity, what is you know, 10,000 years look like? What does 100,000 years look like? What does a million years from now look like? And then you understand why God is going like, you live in 70 years of 80 years, whatever, on, on earth. Yet salvation is so huge because he sees, you know, a million years ahead that he wants to spend with you. Like, it's not about what you do on earth. And all the things you achieve, yes, there are things for, that God has for you to do on earth in this time. But he's seen a million years in a t- in, into eternity saying he loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you. And he wants to start that now. God on earth, the Holy Spirit, has come after Jesus. And he's like, I want to speak to you day to day. Because it's like God is looking forward. He's excited about you spending 
another million years with him. So it's like, let's enjoy that relationship with God now. And then even as we um, looked earlier in the year in Ephesians, where God was calling us to put on that armor of God, it's like in our time now, Satan is going to lie to you. He's going to tell you these things of, oh, you did that, so now you know God is rejecting you, or God is mad with you, or whatever. Or, you know, did you really do that salvation prayer properly? Like, did you get the words right? I don't think it quite stuck, you know? Satan's going to sow these lies just to break that relationship because, you know, it's like, it's like a, it, it, our salvation is forever. And God is a God of unconditional love. He will receive you back. And he does. Like, you don't lose your salvation when you, when you sin. It's, it's we're living under, um, we're not living under the law. We're living under grace. So that grace says, even if you sin, even if you sin, God is faithful to his side of the covenant saying, I will love you eternally. And so when we question that, then we, we, um, we kind of stop ourselves doing what God has called us to do because now we're questioning whether we are even in a right space or even allowed to do this. It would be the same as like, you know, if you get hired for a job and then you're like, oh, I'm not sure if they really hired me or if that contract really is, is true kind of thing. Okay, I'm just not going to go to work until I'm sure. It's like, no, you're saved. Go to work, do what, be in that, that relationship, even if it's a contractual relationship. Be that thing. There will be rewards. You bring your part. And it's a similar kind of thing. I know the, the analogy breaks down, but it's like, um, it's a similar kind of thing. Have your salvation Stand with that armor of, of righteousness and that helmet of salvation, knowing that you are saved, that, that um, belt of truth, and just go like, I know that I know that I'm saved. I'm going to not question that. I'm going to live in this relationship and just get to know my God, get to know this God who is sovereign over all the universe, and yet he's my friend, yet he wants to speak to me day to day to day. And it's like, that's what God is calling us to do. And Christmas was the beginning of that. Christmas was the, the hope that God brought for us that we can be in that relationship with God Almighty today, now, always. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll take communion now. <laughs> so, I don't know. I was going to say, like, I can do it with one train. <laughs> but, uh, I think the beautiful thing is, like, there's a lot going on in Christmas now, and there's lunches to be had and gifts to be had. And, you know, you can get very um, niggly about, you know, is this pagan stuff and whatever. And at the end of the day, it's like, you keep in your heart. The world, the world is going to turn things into pagan things. That's fine. That's up to the world. But for us, we just remember Jesus Christ, the hope that he brought to us, the hope of salvation, the hope of restored relationship with God. And what a beautiful thing to... Thanks, babe. <laughs> what a beautiful thing to be able to um, experience that even now in our day-to-day so, Lord God Almighty, yeah, we acknowledge some of us has, have had tough years and we've fallen short of your glory, of what you called us to do. 
and some of us has achieved amazing things and some of us have tripped up on, a, on other things. And all we know, and we just thank you, that no matter what, we just thank you that you pursue us. You pursue us, your bride. Lord, we just thank you for Jesus, for coming to this earth to save us, to restore relationship that we can sit here and just say, hi, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you have done for each and every one of our lives. Thank you that, thank you, that you lead us and guide us in our day-to-day walk, that you're not aloof and far and not speaking to us, but you are excited about pursuing relationship with us. You're excited about just sitting in our mundane day-to-day lives, drinking coffee with us, or guiding us, speaking to us on the way to work. We thank you that you are real. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for dying on that cross for us. We thank you for your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for us so that we can have this relationship with you, God Almighty.